You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. I'm Amber. And with us today, we have friend of the show and friend of mine for too many decades, than more than I'm willing to admit, Jamie. Jamie, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jamie. Friend of the show, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually on her business card. That's, that's how everybody knows her as friend of the show. What show? Uh, <laughs> our show. So Jamie is actually going to be presenting us with a tiny crimey today. So let's go, Jamie. Let's hear it. Okay. Uh, I have made a pre-episode request that all of you have a beer. So I think we're all drinking right now. Uh, I am drinking a Lancaster Brewing Company blue trail lemon blueberry shandy which sounds super girly but it's delicious and it is very appropriate to what i'm going to be talking about so we are going to talk about max hassel the millionaire newsboy or the beer baron of berks county depending on which spin you want to put on the story wasn't he that his name is awesome wasn't he the guy in the 80s that was just a head in the tv no (laughs) (laughs) max headroom oh okay Max Hassel is a cool name, though. Very cool name. And he is, it is Berks County, Pennsylvania. So local boy, Eastern PA. Um, he was actually born Mendel Gessel in Latvia, 1900. I changed my name, too. <laughs> <laughs> immigrated with his family, mom, dad, four siblings, to the U.S. when he was 11. Settled in Reading, Pennsylvania. And they decided to swap out the G for an H to go from being the Gassels to the Hassels. Why that's more American sounding, I'm not sure. They felt it was. And then young Mendel swapped out his name for the much more American sounding Max. Thank God so... they just didn't drop the G and became the asshole family. <laughs> <laughs> so Max goes to school for a few years, pretty much just long enough to learn English and get rid of his accent. And then he quit when he's 14. So what do you think a fresh out of school 14 year old does to occupy their time? steal stuff so what year are we talking right now so he was born in 1900 which is the best time to be born so anytime i take it tell you a date you can just immediately know how old he was so, so ni- he's, he's he's 14 we're talking 1914 do? so yeah. at that point at that point you only had to go to the eighth grade and then you could actually legally quit school without your parents permission i know this because my dad was born in 1918 and he did the same thing. Eighth grade, quit school, worked in the coal mines. So we got steel stuff, coal mine. Christy, what's I was your guess? Gonna, I was going to go with coal mine, too. Just just seems natural. So uh, young Max partnered up with a friend of his, Israel Lever, or Izzy as he called him. And they formed not one, but two wholesale companies the Union Cigar Company and the Universal Cigar Company. And they also opened a cigar store in which they hired Max's younger brother to work. So this is his first kind of dipping the toe into the pool of illegal activities. And not because it's three kids that were running three cigar companies. That that was legal. That's fine. But it was because at the time you required to purchase a federal stamp for cigars. And I tried to look up more information on that, but historical tax code is pretty boring, so I didn't get it very far. But the gist of it is you're supposed to 
pay a tax something like five bucks per thousand cigars and max and his buddies weren't probably weren't doing that so slightly illegal there not but, a lot of 14 year olds are well versed in tax laws though yeah i mean he, he, i give him a little credit you know so he <laughs> kind of gets a pass on that but so during the same time you know because that wasn't enough work he's also selling newspapers and he was really good at it because he was quote courteous made quick change and was a handsome lad who understood customer service how much customer service in selling newspapers i don't know but people liked him <laughs> so his cigar making buddy izzy's father owned the burke's bottling company and was a host wholesale liquor distributor but around 1920 how, how do you think the, the the liquor bottling business was going 1920 yeah 1920 alcohol probably not very well yeah so prohibition happened and you know his his buddy's family decided to cut their losses and get out of that business that you couldn't be in anymore and uh max's buddy izzy moved on to real estate but max he he saw some opportunity because there was a pretty significant albeit illegal demand for some alcohol so he used his charisma street smarts and the contacts that he made from his buddy's family to buy into two breweries and then own a third. So at the time, during Prohibition, you couldn't make beer beer, but you could make near beer. That is beer with an alcohol content of one and one half percent. So that's what Max says he's doing with his breweries. But he's making actual beer, and you can't just sell your beer on the street. So he calls up his buddy, Izzy, who's now in real estate, and Izzy helps him out with the purchase of some local saloons and hotels so he'd have places to sell his product. So that's when he really starts making some money. According to the book bootlegger Max Hassel, the Millionaire Newsboy, the cost to make a half gallon of beer was $2.50. And you could sell it to wholesalers for 8 bucks to 10 bucks, who would then sell it at a speakeasy for 11 bucks to 16 bucks. So since Max has the breweries, and he owns all the way up to the saloons and hotels where he's selling the stuff. He's making a heck of a lot of money. And anybody who's making money, federal agents start getting suspicious. So they're keeping an eye on him. And the feds watching his breweries, they see his guys, they test the beer vats, find the alcohol content above the legal one half percent, and shut him down. One so half. then Max is like, <laughs> my master plan. So he's got to get a little more clever to disguise his operations. So, criminal mastermind here. He has the Redding Brewing Company. He changes that to the much more inconspicuous August Manufacturing Company. And then he switched it again to the Redding Ice and Storage Company. And the federal inspectors, they, they toured his company, the Ice and Storage Company, and they did indeed find an ice company. But they also found a secret brick wall and behind that were vats of beer with the scandalously high alcohol content of 3.9 and 4.1%. What the hell? Burn the place down! Kill him! <laughs> Not quite that, but definitely shut it down. So, everything he's, he's, got, he's got two breweries now, they're shut down. So, he, do, he tries the same thing, renaming a brewery, and the feds still catch it. So he's like, okay. Finally goes to court federal court ordered him to pay a whopping $1,500 fine and he lost raw materials worth about $25,000. But considering that his breweries were 
supplying all the beer to Philadelphia for the entire year of 1924. He's not really hurting. That wasn't much of a slap on the wrist, but he lost out on all of his breweries in reading in Reading. So he's got to look for somewhere else. So that's when he moves down to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Yes, the Amish will hide you. <laughs> Amish are shifty, shifty bastards. You know that they actually had one of the biggest Coke rings going a few years back? Well, you remember what happened to my dog. Yeah. <laughs> Every... so, so, surprisingly, this does not involve the Amish that we know of. But, Every uh... time the Amish encountered my dog, I ended up with less of a dog. <laughs> yeah. Amber remembers the story. I'm not going to go into it because there's still okay. legal ramifications. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Yes. Okay. So he 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 gets the the Riker Brewery. Another another family that family owned business. They were doing great until Prohibition. Then they just wanted to get out of the business. So they, sold, they sold the Max. They were just underneath the Picard Brewery. Boo. <laughs> 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 yeah. Go ahead. I'll take your freaking hate. Go ahead. <laughs> So now he's, he's got all these lessons learned from the stuff that didn't work in Reading. So he's learning from his past mistakes. When he takes over the Riker Brewery, he's got to find a way to transport his beer away from the brewery without using trucks. Because that's how he got caught last time. The feds are always seeing him loading up his trucks. So what other sneaky transportation options? How, how would you get beer out of a brewery without using a truck? In my belly. <laughs> it's a lot of trips. <laughs> See, my buddy Al and I were actually discussing this just a couple of months ago, believe it or not, in a weird roundabout way. My, my friend Al owns a garage, and he, he calls me over and he goes, Scott, look over there. He goes, do you, do you know what that is over there? And I said, I have no idea. It's, uh, it's just past like a local school. And you can see it right from his garage. And he goes, that's the beverage distributor. You know what's in the back of that? You know, no. They make missiles for the U.S. military in that. <laughs> and he goes, you know what? I fix, the tr I fix like, the trucks all the time. They bring the government cars over here. I fix them. That's how I know about this. The guys talk about the missiles that they're making. But I never see any large trucks come out of there. Scott, how do you think they're getting the missiles out of there? And we, we kind of sat down and thought about it for about 15, 20 minutes. And, and then it kind of hits me. You're like going, do you think maybe they airlift them out, uh, drive them out late at night? No, you live right here. You'd even notice it late at night. And the uh, underground tunnel, eh, maybe. And then it kind of hits us. It's a beverage distributor in the front. You take the missiles out on fucking beverage trucks. There you go. <laughs> So maybe what I'm saying is maybe you just put them on a different kind of truck. See, see, you're, you're still thinking too obvious, you know, that the, the feds are, you know, that they catch on to that kind of stuff. Well, let's get so, Al over here and we'll figure it out. <laughs> so Max's plan was to run a three inch rubber hose through the sewer system to an abandoned warehouse down the street. So... Oh. Fucking but, genius. But, but how do you get a hose through a uh, through the sewer? Especially a sewer with a diameter as small as 18 inches. 
So if, if it's a short distance, you could just kind of push it through, but you can only do that for so far, and certainly not the over half a mile from the brewery to the warehouse. So you could attach it to a small animal and have them drag oh, it through. Oh, you're, you're on the right track here. You could attach it to a baby and have them crawl it through. Attach not... it to a giant turd and flush it. <laughs> Eat the hose yeah. and then push it out through your butthole and poop it through. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Scott, you're you're originally kind of kind of close there. Uh, Max finds um, two little people from New Jersey, and I'm I'm gonna go with the term little people. Oh Some no. of the newspaper called them dwarves, or other papers called them quote mobster midgets. Half, oh no, half men. <laughs> so there were apparently little people that you that specialized into uh getting into tight and tight tight spaces so the, the the local paper the lancaster new era called them quote sewer rats uh so these little people ran a hose from the window of the brewery and down into the sewer pipe and just to clarify here we're not talking a storm sewer where it's conveying nice, clean rainwater. No, this is a sewer sewer. So these sewer rats were like full Shawshank Redemption style crawling oh, no. along, dragging a pipe for over half a mile. Oh my God, this is beautiful. I'm picturing it in my head. Oh, I so, really hope they got free beer for life for doing so, this. <laughs> so when they get halfway to the warehouse, you know, on their way to the warehouse, they suddenly drop into a flooded pipe and a rush of sewage sludge pins them against the metal gate and they're nearly drowned. <laughs> so, why are you laughing? This is horrible for these poor people. They're just trying to do a job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm picturing a little person pinned to a grate by a stream of raw sewage, and I can't help it. Uh, I do. Uh, one of one of my sources called uh, Pennsylvania Profiles does have a cartoon of this that I that we can share on our on our social media here. Of, oh please, oh please, please, please. <laughs> yeah. So um, so they don't drown. The slop. Do subside. they? Do they wish they did? <laughs> and, and they, they keep going. Um, so researching just, you know, how this is feasible for this to happen, I found an article from 2002, so much later, uh, in which the Lancaster City Public Works Department director took a reporter on a tour of the sewer system because apparently 2002 was an incredibly slow news year and they had nothing else to report on. So where this intrepid reporter went was part of the route taken by Max's sewer rats. And it's it's still in use today uh, because we don't maintain our infrastructure. Uh, it's one of the oldest parts of the city's sewer system. And it's it's slightly bigger. It's 13 feet wide. So you, you could walk around down there and some um, poor soul that works for the public works department has to do that regularly. Uh, the reporter described the 150-year-old cracked and crumbling tunnel as, quote, an awesome display of 19th century craftsmanship. But even with today's technology, it's still exceedingly treacherous. Total pitch blackness, 
rapid flow of sewer sludge, uneven slick wooden planks, pockets of dangerous gases, and also like actual sewer rats. Not so, not to not to correct you there, Jamie. Don't you mean craftsmanship? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> Scott, you're fired. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Worth so, it. Uh, per per the city's public works supervisor, um, the rats, the actual rats here, are actually a welcome sight when you're working in the sewer because if you see a living rat, then you know the air is safe to breathe. The uh, the real problem are the cockroaches. So, so that's something you don't hear very often. Oh, thank God, rats! Yeah, because <laughs> at least you have breathable air down there. So, uh, good news, everybody. That... The murder hornets are swarming. <laughs> <laughs> so the incredibly awful conditions that they described in this part that uh, the Lancaster uh, public works guy went down in, you know, that was that was just two blocks of the journey that uh, Max's sewer rats traversed, and the rest of it was even worse because it was that only really confined, much narrower 18-inch pipes to be crawling through. So, yeah, just uh, the dedication of, of these guys. And um, if, if we're keeping track for what Max has actually done in terms of crimes here, it's skipping the government on cigar tax, bootlegging, bootlegging, more bootlegging, but not an official crime, but I add underpayment of employees to his list of crimes because I don't know what he paid those guys, but it was not enough. Like, no matter no. what it was, <laughs> it, was it was not enough. Not. Does You're that count a... as like attempted murder since they nearly died? You're a little person, so you get a little money. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but um, so... A few days later, you know, this pipe is in place. Everybody's congratulating themselves. And um, they had a first tapping, tapping the first keg party at the warehouse. So away from the brewery here. How do you, um, how do you think that beer transported via sewer tasted? Horrifying. <laughs> you know what, though? Okay, so all I am thinking is when the little people are carrying the tube through the sewer, it's an open tube that is full of sewer water. So the first lots of drinks, I assume, taste like poo, literally. I imagine the midgets might have had the tube in their mouth first, you know, so biting down on it may have clamped the end shut, but then whenever they drowned, you know, or nearly drowned, I'm sorry. Um, they made it, they, they made it. They made it, but I'm sure like some poop got in the tube. So yeah, that, that's where you would go, but uh... The actual issue is that the beer was scalding hot and weak as tea. So they know it's fine. It's beer when it leaves the brewery. So what what's going on? You know, so the ever dedicated little people go back in oh, and no. crawl the whole route to figure out what's going on and dedication. But so they retrace the pipe again. And they find that a laundromat is emptying scalding hot water into the sewer directly over the beer tube. So the scalding water is essentially just boiling the alcohol out of the beer. So after all that work getting the tube in there, you know, Max can't really go to the laundromat and tell them not to do that without giving himself away. So he just fixes the problem by installing a force pump so he just kind of speeds the beer through the pipe. 
So that, that solves his problem there. And no more little people need to go back in the sewer. So Yeah, but we're going to send them down there anyway because it's fun. Look at them crawl. <laughs> little butts hanging out the holes to try to work their way in. They wiggle. Oh, it's adorable. <laughs> so it's a 3,000-foot beer pipe operational without issue until March 1932 when a city employee just found it and said, what's this? So it was finally discovered and then the city couldn't figure out how to get it out. Um, the, 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 another local paper, the Intelligencer Journal, great name for a paper, reported it was a rubber pipe resembling a fire hose, but heavier construction. So again, just, just to reiterate how incredibly these little people were at their jobs, a fire hose is not light. So in addition to the awfulness that they had to crawl through, they're dragging something that is really heavy. So if you're thinking just a, like a standard garden hose, if you had 3,000 feet of that, it's going to be over 500 pounds. And we're talking a fire hose. So nobody could figure out what he did. It's kind of beyond me because I don't I don't get how they could have got it in there. It just, it... That's what she said. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> so I give Max a heck of a lot of credit and ingenuity for getting his system in there. No, no credit for Max. All the credit to the two little people that went in the sewer. Yeah, to the poorly played little people. Uh, the, the mayor of Lancaster City at the time said, quote, I doubt very much that a man could actually crawl through a sewer main so small, but I am told that there are dwarves who make a business of this very thing. We have Wait, no this one is a, this is a who common venturing into a main. This is a common thing? Like beer, like beer hoses and mickets. The the mayor was in total disbelief that he's that anyone could do it. He said it was impossible and that none of his people could do it. But there it was. It was in there. So, uh, the uh, nobody for the city. They didn't have anyone that could go down and investigate uh, that could fit down there. But the uh, the good folks at the Intelligence or Journal newspaper said we got a guy. So they sent one of their reporters down to investigate, but he did not get very far because, quote, he was chased back by big rats. And those are actual rats. Wait, so, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that this newspaper just happened to have a little tiny reporter that they could fit down the hole? No, it did not mention that if, if he was of small stature, they just said they had someone willing to go, go investigate. So I don't know if that was someone who volunteered or someone who was told that they would be going. I, Total I don't brown know. noser. Yeah, uh, literally in every sense of the word. <laughs> does the, does anyone you know have experience working for a newspaper? Do you uh, do you pick your assignments? Um, this was definitely uh, somebody who was uh, the, the last one in the door, as somebody who worked at a newspaper. Uh, yeah, you would you would not get the choice choice assignments unless uh, you got lucky, and you you always worked like you know the fourth of july parade and memorial day and all the holidays and stuff like that so yeah this was definitely the last guy they hired for sure yeah i like to think it was like a gag on the intern <laughs> probably yeah so the mayor you know mad that somebody's bootlegging in his in his city gave orders for the streets department to uh hack away the pipe so 
Some people chopped off bits as souvenirs and made them into paperweights and ashtrays, which, uh, side note, since I'm in this area, the next, whenever the world opens up again and I'm allowed to go to an antique store or flea market, I am definitely going to keep an eye out for this piece of central Pennsylvania historical artifacts there. Hmm. So then the city was like, well, wait a minute, this is way too hard to do and it's also worth something. The pipe was apparently worth $2 per foot, so the mayor declared the the expensive apparatus ought to be utilized respectfully and legally for the good of the city. So instead of hacking it apart, they figured out a remo- way to remove it and they used it to flush their city sewer system. So, you know, so, some good game out of it. Uh, but of course, the brewery went out of business and Max was caught yet again. Everybody, kn- So everybody knows... He's a bootlegger. He's been caught a bunch of times. So what do you what do you think they finally arrest him for? Tax evasion. Yes! Everyone's favorite way to go after a mobster. Tax evasion. Because just because you get money illegally doesn't mean you don't have to pay taxes on it. So he was arrested on charges of bribery, income tax evasion, and violating prohibition laws. But he was he was never convicted. In the income tax delinquency case. Federal agents uh, testified that he made two and a half million dollars between 1920 and 1925, and just for you, Kristen, that is in today's money is 32.6 million dollars. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Look so, at the money! Look at the money you can make with little people. <laughs> so the IRS filed a 1.2 million dollar lien against Max for the recovery of income taxes. He uh, failed to pay for the past six years at the time the largest penalty levied against an individual uh, but somehow he gets a deal where if he paid two two thousand dollar fines on the prohibition violation charges plus the hundred fifty thousand to clear the tax lien then all charges would be cleared so one of the reasons that you know some of these charges never really seem to stick might be just because he was such a nice guy. Aww. Fr- I know, isn't that nice? Friends, acquaintance, close associates always spoke of Max's good looks and calm demeanor. Numerous sources referenced him as never even carrying a gun. The Lancaster City Police, despite knowing Max and his crew were illegally brewing beer, they never considered him a gangster because there was never any gunplay. Uh... My, my favorite anecdote to demonstrate what a nice guy he was, uh, there's one report that he had a habit of buying a, n- a new hat every day and always gave yesterday's hat away. Aww. Aww. And right? You know, Criminal, but you're giving hats away. Whenever he was pushing on Tiny Tony's butt with his heel, <laughs> he kept saying thank you. Have a hat. <laughs> as, as he was trying to stuff that little guy down in the 18-inch hole. So he had a reputation as a philanthropist who helped the poor and gave unsparingly to his synagogue. One of the most generous things he's remembered for is creating the, quote, hassle-free loan society, which, uh. um, I roll, but whatever, uh, to distribute money to Reading's most needy Jewish citizens. Not exactly clean money, but I'm sure if you were getting the money, you didn't really care what it was coming from. So... Even though he was a nice guy, he teamed up with some other bootleggers who may have not been quite so nice, um, and they formed a bootlegging empire that covered southeastern Pennsylvania and into New Jersey. 
So some of the um, guys he was working with had such intimidating names as Max Boo Boo Hoff and Waxy Gordon. And uh, in 1928, Hoff and a bunch of other Philly law enforcement people and politicians were indicted. So he's out. And then a guy named Mickey Duffy took over Philly's beer market. And Duffy was all about gaining power at gunpoint. So Max had no interest in working him. So when aggressive Mickey elbowed into Max's New Jersey territory, Max was just like, eh, you can just kind of have this brewery. He didn't, instead of resorting to violence, he was just like, eh, you can have it. So, and then a year later, somebody killed Mickey, so problem solved. But Max, it wasn't Max, you know, he, he just kept it peaceful. Uh, another guy, Dutch Schultz, comes ooh, along to try, ooh, ooh, ooh. He, tr- he tries to get into Max and Waxy's operation, but they turn him down, too. And unfortunately, that set into motion the end for Max. On April 12th, 1933, a hitman hired by Schultz entered Max's Philadelphia hotel suite. And uh, I'm going to ask Kristen in her best old-timey breaking news real voice to read the headline. All right, here we go. The barking of an underworld submachine gun in the quiet confines of a palatial suite in the Elizabeth Carreret Hotel furnished furnished a staccato dirge for Max Hassel. That was only okay. (laughs) <laughs> real I'm, I'm fancy lucky. way to say he got shot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Max and eight of his associates he was hanging out with got murdered but good old Waxy who was believed to be the actual target of the gunmen he was spared because at the time of the shooting he was where do you think he was he wasn't with Max in the sewers <laughs> good guess but no he was too big yeah with three midget prostitutes in a bed Damn. Scott, you were so good at this game. <laughs> he was down the hall with a prostitute. Were they tiny prostitutes? I do not believe so, no. Well, opportunity lost, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so he was busy. He was out of the room. Uh, the hitman who killed Max and his associates was eventually caught and charged. But then mysteriously, all the witnesses disappeared in the state's case this uh, collapsed, so he never went to trial. That's funny how that always Seriously. works out that way. <laughs> so, at the end for Max, he was returned to Reading, and the streets were jammed with a crowd of 15,000 people, and an endless line of friends and admir- admirers moved through the funeral home to see Hassel in his $2,000 solid brass coffin. So... He died April 12th, 1933, and Prohibition came to an end just eight months later in December of 1933. It, it seems very odd to think about the fact that people used to smuggle beer through Pennsylvania. It feels like smuggling maple syrup to Canada, like completely unnecessary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in reviewing the story, I, ha- I have some, some lessons learned of, of you know, I, I know mo- most of your criminals that you discuss, there's nothing to be learned from them. They're, they're kind of, you know, sad stories. But we, we can learn some stuff from Max. So, you know, number one, stay tight with your childhood friends. They're, they're very useful later in life, you know. Hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, when you need to be on a podcast. Uh, if, you, if you're going to be a criminal, you, you can still be nice about it. 
you just look for creative solutions rather than violence, you know, when you can have some little people go through a sewer and not have shootouts with the cops, you know, that's, that's a nicer way to go about things. All the best solutions involve little people. Remember that. <laughs> yes, and, and lastly, most importantly, always remember to take a break from hanging out with your bros and spend time with prostitutes because it might save your life. Well, I don't think we have to worry about anything ha bad happening to me ever. <laughs> and I have, just because I found it, I don't know why, but it's, it's not relevant, but I think it's amusing and very interesting. A bonus, bo bonus fact about Max. Uh, very recently, December 2019, an article in the, uh, the Reading Eagle reported that two Art Deco toilets from Max Hassel's house were donated to the Center Park Historic District's Artifacts Bank. The Artifacts Bank has salvaged and donated items from building demolitions, restorations, and rehab projects for sale to the public for the uh, purpose of encouraging and enabling the adaptive reuse of rescued architectural building materials. So uh, they are light green and salmon colored toilets. Yeah. Featuring low-slung kidney-shaped water jackets, date stamp 1933. The uh, the owner of of Max's mansion apparently found the toilets in the attic because when you take out a toilet, you put it in your attic. But uh, he was intrigued by their style and he donated them to the Artifacts Bank. And it's quoted as saying, "The guy had a lot of money. The toilets were cutting edge at the time." So I guess bonus lesson learned that if you have lots of money, go ahead and treat yourself to a fancy Art Deco toilet. These are some <laughs> fancy shitters. Aren't they? <laughs> they they're styling. I want to know why anyone would choose salmon for any color, really, ever. Like, kind of make. I wonder what the rest of his bathroom looked like. Yeah. If that match, but. <laughs> do, yeah. do you remember when my bathroom was a, a green? tub and a green toilet and pink uh, tiles on the floor. Tiny pink tiles. I was actually just having flashbacks of that. Yeah, yeah. I, do. I, have, I have PTSD from that. The bathrooms <laughs> in my house make me angry. <laughs> that this this wasn't angry. that long ago, so they may still be available. I just, I couldn't, I was tempted to call and ask, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie, that was absolutely amazing. That, that was, was awesome. Something so else. stay out of the sewers. <laughs> yes. It's dangerous. Yeah. And there's we rats and cockroaches. Unless you're a little person, then the sewers are the place to be. It's hip. It's happening. <laughs> you can make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So, um, do you want literally underworld? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you want to give your... You're rubbing off on me, Kristen. <laughs> it's all my fault. Um, do you want to give your sources here? You just need to give like the, the author and the publication. You don't need to give like the whole title because you have you Jamie researched the hell out of this. You guys, she she destroyed us as far as sources yeah, are concerned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of got I, I signed up for a free trial to like a, a historical newspaper art, archive, so I got a little carried away in the uh, the articles from the 1930s from the uh, Intelligencer Journal, the Lancaster New Era. The reading, the Reading Times, um, also the the recent article from Lancaster Online called "Underground Odyssey: What It's Like to Slog Through a Sewer Tunnel Beneath Lancaster" <laughs> from 2002. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, historical review of Berks County because they are they are quite proud of their their their, their good old boy Max Hassel. And also, also uh, images of America, Jewish reading from Berks County. Also, hmm. a very interesting source. Yeah, you have like fourteen sources here. <laughs> you um, killed us. <laughs> I will say that my my favorite my favorite source um, is a uh, collection of cartoons that ran in various Pennsylvania newspapers, Pennsylvania profiles. This is how I found this story, and I thought it was ridiculous because on the cover of this one collection, it's um, pictures of little people crawling through a sewer, and I immediately flipped to that page and said, what is that in relation to? So I'm excited <laughs> about those pictures. Actually. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. Those might I, be my I new... only sent you a few, but I can send you the whole thing. Those may All be right, my yeah, new thanks. desktop wallpaper. <laughs> I, I, I have a question, though. Is your bookshelf color-coordinated? Uh, it totally it is. Might be. <laughs> that is awesome because <laughs> I kept looking behind you and I'm like that has to be deliberate it has to be <laughs> yeah that was only like week two of quarantine I was going stir crazy very quickly so <laughs> <laughs> oh the things quarantine makes us do <laughs> I know my house has never been cleaner I love the apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? Screw you guys. You can borrow my kids and I'll clean my house because that would be awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, thank you so, so much. That was absolutely amazing. So well-researched and well-told. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us on the show. So anytime you, you stumble upon a tiny or anything like that, uh, just uh, hit me up. So Will do. And thank you for having me. And now when i talk to people and they say hey how's it going what have you been up to and i've done nothing you know because i've been in my house for three months i can say oh i have something i did something i was on a podcast i there did a go. thing <laughs> <laughs> you did a thing yes all right well thank you for listening and yeah we will if you're a patron um we're gonna release this on the, the main feed as well but uh, just a you know once in a while bonus but if you're a patron, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You are head and shoulders above, uh, well, I don't know, people. <laughs> we really appreciate you're you. Not, you're not I like you. our regular filthy listeners. <laughs> yes. So uh, thank you for listening to our filthy words, and we'll see you in the full episode later this week. Bye. Bye. Bye.